I feel like you tried Shut to up, rest. Sasha. <laughs> <laughs> deep tissues, deep tissues, deep tissues, deep tissues, deep tissues. Deep tissues, deep tissues. Hello, Earthlings. This is Sasha Gray. You're listening to Deep Tissues. Hey, Earthlings. <laughs> this is David Guy Levy. And you're listening to Deep Tissues. <laughs> <laughs> is it my turn? Uh, our special guest this week, uh, yes, it is his turn, Nicholas McCarthy. Nick, a.k.a. Nicholas McCarthy. <laughs> yeah. Welcome to the show, man. It's it's great to be here. Except well, when David screams your name in a high-pitched voice. What? Nick, <laughs> So, uh, William, let's send in the masseuses. <laughs> oh, so today we're going to have uh, Marcia working on you, Nicholas. And then right. I'm going to have Ariana. And Sasha, you've got the lovely Sandra. Yeah. The three OGs. <laughs> We're back. So, Nicholas, we don't like to introduce our guests. We like them to do it themselves. Okay. Yes. How would how would you explain yourself to anyone who might not know who you are? Okay. Um, I am a director of movies. I've made movies my whole life. And the last couple of films I made have been features, and they've been horror features. The first one was called The Pact. It was uh, premiered in 2012. And then this year uh, I had a film called At the Devil's Door. Um, and uh, before that I made like 15 or 20 short films. Wow. And, um, That's very interesting. I'm going to go back to that. Yeah. So... I'm six one, <laughs> and my birthday is next week. Happy yeah, birthday! Cool. And I'm going to be forty <laughs> something. Well, uh, Nicholas, uh, before we get back to my question of, do you consider yourself a horror director, or is that what other people consider you? Mm-hmm. Uh, let's get to uh, most filmmakers will do a handful of shorts and then strive, strive, strive to just move on to features. Uh, was there a reason you wanted to make so many shorts, or <laughs> did you not give a fuck between short or feature? No, I, I um, you know, it's a pretty familiar path. I'm, I just, I kept making shorts because I wanted to make features. But what I realized after a while was that it's actually, I think, harder to make what you might judge as a successful short film rather than a su- successful feature, just because we have a... Um, there's an understanding of features and, and how they, uh, you know, how an audience perceives them, what you expect. But short films, there really aren't any rules. You don't know when the thing's going to end. It could be two minutes. It could be six or 12. That's true. You know, yeah. and so when I really started to get serious about making films and trying to, you know, make a career out of it, um, I started to watch a lot of short films and, uh, yeah, and... and Is there a career in short films? <laughs> no, there's yeah. no career in short <laughs> films. Emphasize that for any starving artists out there. <laughs> no, although the next thing I'm going to do is actually a short film. It's going to be the first time I've ever gotten paid to make a short film, and that's, that's that coming up next. That is cool. mind-blowing. Yeah, it's what, probably the only time in my whole life that that's going to happen. Um, and what kind of genres did your short films uh, scan? Was it all genre, or were you also doing trying to do thrillers or or scarier films? You know what? I never made a genre film before I made The Pact. Yeah. Oh wow! Yeah, me neither. Crazy. Before you know the other horror movie. And I still don't know the reason why that was. I mean, I've always liked all different kinds of films. You know, I don't, I don't have uh, a prejudice about that. Um. But horror was always the genre that I would come back to because it was kind of my first love, you know. Okay. But all the all the shorts that I made were kind of these weird character dramas, um, movies that you really couldn't monetize in any way. <laughs> <laughs> um, and what happened was um, I had moved to Los Angeles um, and I didn't know how feature films got made, but I knew I liked to make movies. And so I started a film club with a couple of friends in Echo Park that we called Alpha 60. And it was based out of the uh, Echo Park Film Center, which had just opened. And we would just make uh, 
short films there. And uh, the first thing that we did was all of us wrote little five-page scripts and then we put our names in a hat. And then uh, we picked out someone else's name and you had to make a film out of their short. Oh, that's cool. And so that kind of worked out well and we ended up doing that for a few years. And um, I made about 13 or 14 movies like that. And a lot of them were just these little, you know, movies that I was shooting in my apartment. But I met a lot of people that way. And then the last of those was seen by this guy who programmed a festival called Cinevegas. Mm-hmm. Uh, was oh, it yeah. Trevor? Or? I know it was uh, Mike Plant. Mike Plant, yeah. I had a film at Cinevegas once. Cinevegas uh, was amazing. Sasha, did you ever go there? No, but I know a few people who have. Yeah. It Something was Something like driving up to the Palms Casino and seeing your, your film on the fucking big board. That's pretty cool. Yeah, it, it was like a bunch of weirdo... Indian art filmmakers yeah. like trapped in Vegas together. It was some of the weirdest parties I've ever been to in my life. I bet. <laughs> there was this one party where Hunter S. Thompson was there. <laughs> no. Yeah. No. Not to no, this totally episode l- at all. No way. <laughs> yeah. No. And um, I swear to God, I was waiting for some friends. I was at the, um, the pool of the, uh, at the Palms. Yeah. And it was just packed with people because it was the closing night party of Vegas, And we're all there getting our free drinks. And all of a sudden, the crowd just parted in front of me. And there's Hunter on the back of a golf cart because he, he couldn't, <laughs> couldn't walk. He was so wasted. And, no, um, not because he's old and sick. Well, maybe a little, a little of both. I might drink tonight. Bring the cart around. And, <laughs> <laughs> that's a hard that's a problem that's someone with a problem and he it passed me by and I swear to God he looked up at me right and met my eyes and just did this slow motion wave and then <laughs> disappeared and the into the started playing <laughs> in your head. totally like like if you had written that and filmed that it would be a cliche but it actually happened <laughs> But that was the first um, festival where I ever showed a short film. And that movie was like, I was just so deep in kind of just making these like little almost avant-garde movies. And what film was that? It was this six-minute long short called Made. Made. It sounds like this is a time, too, based on the Hunters Thompson still being alive, where it's not cheap to shoot short films. Like, it's gotten really cheap in the last few years. But my first short film cost the same as my first feature. So, like, short films, you know, you got to really find a way to make your movies. Yeah. It, well, that movie, too, I mean, it was shot on digital video, and it was kind of at the dawn of that whole thing. Like with the uh, Canon XL1s and stuff like that? Yeah, whatever it is. I mean, it's like, yeah. it's all, to me, I've never been much of a tech head, but it was it was that, it was still standard def, and it just looked like shit. And, like, but this movie, I made it with my friend Sam Zuckerman, and, and it was... It started as like a Spanish language documentary for a couple minutes. And then we had this woman who was the housekeeper who we were interviewing tell this story that we had told her to tell. That was in answer to what's the strangest thing that's ever happened to you when you've cleaned someone's house. And then we shot film uh, that was like a dramatization of this. But we put a Korean-American actress uh, playing her and then it turned into a Korean musical number <laughs> at the end and that was our idea that that was and then you go that's what I meant to do <laughs> but I re- I'll never forget watching that movie at like a multiplex in Las Vegas with a bunch of confused people like <laughs> th- like you know that kind of clapping afterwards the scattered like <laughs> what the hell he made a movie watch? you know I would love to see this but that's when I realized that I had to kind of reach out. And that was kind of the beginning of thinking about doing genre stuff, you know? Have you found that since you've made two genre films in a row, you're being sort of categorized as a genre filmmaker? Or do you feel like it's still going to be okay for you when you want to make, a, you know, a relationship drama or any other genre? Well, you know, I I, I do get asked by journalists if I just want to make horror movies and 
they don't ask people who make comedies that question. You know, like they don't ask so they don't true. they don't ask anybody else who makes you know different kinds of movies that question. And it has to do with I guess horror being kind of this lower class. Yeah. You know, genre and where it's like, oh, are you ever going to break out of this? This adolescent. Oh. Yeah. It's like, oh, do you want to be this unintelligent? <laughs> yeah. I uh, I agree. I mean, there's years where I didn't, where, uh, you know, I made a bunch of, you know, heady, pretentious stuff as a producer for just the indie market. And, you know, when someone brought genre to me, I was like, I don't know where to take this, but it's because no one, you know, I'm talking to works on it. But then also at the same time, I was like, if I do genre, it is this category that people look at me in. But then one day I just was like, fuck it. Stop thinking about what other people think make the movie you want to make. And if, then it changes, make something else. Yeah. And I, I, I don't know. I'm kind of weird that way. Like I don't have any judgment about it. Like my favorite films are horror films. And I mean, and Which, what are some of your favorites? Well, before I came here, you know, like yesterday I listened to your interview with Nacho, you know? Yeah. And um, he mentioned seeing that new restoration of Texas Chainsaw. And, mm -hmm. you know, he calls it a masterpiece. That's exactly, you know, those words were coming out of my mouth when I watched it again uh, about two weeks ago. And I just was watching that film <laughs> during the day, like <laughs> in my pajamas, or so, just being just my the worst nightmare of what my parents would think I would do in my adult <laughs> life. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> and, and like I mean that movie that it's just it's a perfect film I think and I and I don't it's that's a really kind of presumptuous thing to say but it, it's there's only a few that I've seen that I'm such, like it's such a perfect as like movie. Such films like Carrie I think you know yeah. if someone you know is approaching genre not in a commercial business way and going this is what everyone's buying I'm going to make one and goes and makes a buy the numbers movie but when someone can approach a horror film with the same passion they would approach their Oscar push you know like just, I want to make a great movie and this is this is a scary one that's when you see good work you know that my favorite horror films are from directors who took it just as seriously as they thought they should you know Roman Polanski Carrie uh, the Shining, Stanley Kubrick, you know, I think you can really explore a space and not have to just do it because you're trying to fill a demand, but more of an artistic urge. Yeah, and and I think, you know, those films and, and, and most of the great modern horror films were made also by directors looking to find a commercial project. Like Polanski made, you know, Repulsion. It was It's kind of his shabbiest looking movie. Because he didn't have any money, but he wanted to make a movie, you know. He wanted to get into the English-speaking market, and so he made a movie in, you know, in England. And Kubrick, I mean, it was like, you know, it's well-known. He just, he needed a hit, you know. It's like, he was like, what can I do after Barry Lyndon that'll get asses in the seats, you know. Mm -hmm. And and that, that film has become so well-regarded among our generation and, you know, and people younger by just because it has such a weird power, you know. Um, but it was, I think, it like the part of the impulse can't be ignored that, you know, it's like there's a certain amount of, it's not like here I'm going to give something great to the horror genre. It's also like there's all these other reasons that guide people who normally wouldn't make a horror movie into making uh, horror films. And then that's often where the masterpieces come from. Well, yeah, you if you listen to anything... William Friedkin has said about The Exorcist. Yeah. It's like, this wasn't supposed to necessarily be a horror film. Yeah, and it I doesn't feel like out. it when you watch it, you know? Like, it's it defined a whole new way of... Yeah. That movie completely fucked up my head for my life, that film. <laughs> I mean, I was raised a Catholic. And Me too. <laughs> you were? Yeah. Yeah. Did, how old were you I when you saw it? I did not give a shit when that movie came out. I was like, who cares? I was... I was 11 in seventh grade. Same here. I, I, well, I was in sixth grade. Have a different reaction to The Exorcist. You know what's funny is I think that's true, although my friend Sam, who's Jewish, that movie deeply upsets him. <laughs> but but it's, yeah, I mean, Sasha, just like you, when I saw that movie, I mean, this is going to date me. I saw it, like I had a friend whose name was Damien, I swear to God. Oh, His no. name was Damien. Someone actually named their child that. Um, Listen, I'm just going to get a taxi home, okay, Damien? <laughs> <laughs> and he had, he was the first person I knew who had 
a VCR. He oh, had cool. he had a Betamax player. Oh wow! And I know, right? Um, and he had a tape of The Exorcist. Like it was like that is so just verboten, you know. Like, and I remember going over to Damien's house, and I made it through like forty five minutes of that movie, and I just was like, shut it off. Like I couldn't. No I just, way. Yeah, I, I finally watched uh, the rest of it. I think a couple of years later. I don't but, know why my mom. I don't know how we got to that point. I watched something else before The Exorcist, and I always wanted to watch horror movies. And my mom would, you know, we would walk down the aisle of the video store, and she would say, "No, you can't watch this. No, you can't watch this." And it was always like modern, new releases. Mm-hmm. And then she goes, "But you know what? You can watch. The Exorcist. <laughs> you can watch this." Really? <laughs> and I don't know why. I think maybe because she had seen it, so she knew it, and she could appreciate it, uh, it, whatever justification it was. And so I was allowed to watch that, and she would let me watch older horror movies, more or less. Um, well, that was older for you, I guess, you know, because I'm older than you. That's fascinating, though, because that... So your mom had seen it before? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Wow. Sounds like Sasha's about to get oiled. already was (laughs) anyways well that was one of the defining kind of moments for me seeing that film because it was so troubling I I think I was convinced I mean also it had a lot to do with how much pot I started smoking but like (laughs) I was convinced like that like the devil could take possession of my body Uh, like for a long time like I thought that that could actually happen oh well no luckily I didn't have that fear but I, uh, at least someone kept their sanity. It was, uh, <laughs> not me. <laughs> it was frightening. It was still frightening, though. And it was frightening to the point where during the scenes where, uh, where she was on the bed and, and screaming out obscenities, I was laughing. And my older brother got so angry at me. I remember him saying, Stop laughing. It's not funny, but I was laughing just because I was uncomfortable. Yeah. So it was like the only way I knew how to express myself watching it. Um, But now I just, I love it. It's one of my all-time favorites. Yeah, I just watched it again, like, a few months ago. I've been spending a lot of time, too, like, just kind of watching. I just, not consciously, but just ended up that way, just watching the movies that were important to me at some point, you know? Like, I just... That ended up in my DVD player again. And I, wa- I watched it at, like, you know, midnight by myself one night. I just, you know, seems like a good time to watch The Exorcist. And But that movie still has this weird power. You made the short for the pact, and it did well. You said you took it to Sundance? Yeah, it got into Sundance. And, I mean, the story behind that movie was, I mean, I was, like, 38 years old. And I had, a, like, a new baby in my life. Uh-huh. Um, and... I had just been wanting to get paid to, you know, write and direct, and no one had really done that for me. I mean, I had, I had written a couple screenplays and gotten paid, and, but you know, it was like it was like a very LA moment that I was having. You know, like it's like how is this dream going to come true? And the whole story of that little short film, which someone posted on YouTube, it's 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 out there. Um, was this kind of fuck it moment where I was like, well, I'm just going to do something that I feel like I want to see, but I didn't know if anyone wanted to see it. Like it wasn't, it wasn't designed to be like the seed of a feature, you know? Yeah. Hmm. Um, but I think it's just that I cared and wanted to do something different that, and it hit a sweet spot. Like I had the right, I had kind of found my DP with the previous short that I made Bridger Nielsen and we really clicked and, there's just all these elements that came together. We the actress that was in a Jewel State was really good, and this I other have part. Many mutual friends at Jewel. Yeah, well, I I met Jewel through Austin. Oh yeah, know. that makes sense. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's so funny. I was like, she didn't need to come out and do this little movie, you know, but like, she did, and she was so good. And but yeah, it went to Sundance, and um, it was clear. Like, I really didn't know if anyone would care, but it was clear that. It scared people. Like, that was the thing that I would hear 
when I was up there, people would come up to me, strangers, and they would say, your movie scared the shit out of me. And it was only 10 minutes long, you know? And so huh. I thought, well, maybe I have this power to do this. And like three days after that festival, I had this meeting, the only meeting that I got from Sundance. And uh, these guys were like, we want to finance a feature version. And uh, they asked me if there was a script. And I said, oh, yeah, there's a feature script. But there was no script. <laughs> I've been in that position before, and I've said the same. <laughs> yeah. Well, it worked. Like, yeah. Because I, w- I went and wrote it in six weeks. And um, and then, like, just a couple months later, we were making it. Um, so uh, this is a game I like to play. I was watching The Pact. Uh, I like to guess what you made it for. <laughs> uh, was that like a half million dollar movie kind of thing? Four hundred thousand. Four hundred. So great. Okay. Yeah. Uh, those effects were incredible. For four hundred thousand bucks, we would joke about that. We'd be like, we'd be like, oh, this movie looks like it was made for a million. No, totally. Like, <laughs> Which is still so puny, right? By an, ex- an external force, and I'm like, that looks legit awesome. Yeah. Well, Katie. The actress, she had done stunt work before. She had just done, like, she was awesome. She did, like, mixed martial arts and uh, parkour and all this crazy super physical stuff. So we knew we could throw her around. And the DP just had one of the things he did for money was shoot uh, second unit work for this, essentially the stunt team. They would do like fight pickup stuff for these like huge movies in their, I guess on their stage somewhere. And um, so my DP was really familiar with wire work and he knew these like top of the line stunt guys. And just like everything on that movie and on the second movie I did, it's all just like these favors where it's like those guys who helped do those stunts and rig them, like there was no... We had no business getting production value like that for that day. And, like, that scene where Katie's, like, knocked around, that's, like, that was, like, half a day of shit. You know, that was, like, we had that scheduled in the morning. Like, it was, like, well, I hope this works, you know? <laughs> but it did. And, I, and when I look at that scene, I'm I was scene, blown I'm, away. I sat I'm up straighter like, when I saw that. I was, like, whoa, how do I achieve this? <laughs> Just, like, be friends with, be really nice to everybody. You know, yeah. Maybe you'll get things in return. That's so cool. That's kind of the key to low-budget filmmaking. And so you found success with this movie. Yeah, you know, I mean, I just was trying to get it done, and and then it got into Sundance, and, you know, it sold all over the world. And um, within months, it was like this huge release in England. I had all these friends, you know, who were, like, emailing me and texting me pictures of, like, all these, like, double-decker bu- buses with our poster on the side. It was like a summer release in, in England, in the That's UK. So cool. And, you know, we had made that movie for 400 grand. We were just trying to get it done. I mean, the, the cut that exists of it, we, I mean, we kind of finished it. And then we played that at Sundance. And I was like, okay, well, we have to finish the movie now. And they were like, oh, no, no, it's it's finished, Nick. Wow. You know, and that was what played over there. It played all over the world. And when that movie premiered in the UK, like, the, I'll never forget, the box office was Prometheus was number one. Uh, Men in Black was a two. Was number two. Some other huge studio movie was number three, and we were number four. Like it was like every every other movie in the top five was like a hundred and fifty million dollar wow. movie, and we had made our movie for four hundred grand. It really speaks to people's, you know, people's desire to see the genre that everyone is too hoity-toity to really accept. Yeah. It's funny. It's like at the end of the day, I mean, that's those are the pleasures that I really like about film is like the things that don't really cost money. Yeah. Like, I mean, actors, you know, big stars, you know, they deserve to get paid well. And with the good ones, it's great to just sit and spend time with them. And that that is something that there's no money for that to just look well, at someone's face. Well, even in the studio you know? system. You know, like the studios go – Oh, you know, you want to do the purge? It's an Ethan Hawke movie. Well, we're still going to only give you three million. We're not going to put thirty into this, mm-hmm. and it's still the one that makes them all their money. Yeah, but I like—I guess that at the end of the day, it's like that little movie that I made. Like the reason why I mean, I had a really great ad campaign over in the UK, but it was just that it was scary for at least some people. Like it was, and that was the thing that was its production value. Yeah, and that I think at the end of the day, you don't need any money to make something scary. You just kind of need to have a director. 
and yeah. actors that like are kind of with you, like a whole team. Yeah. And I like that idea of like making something out of nothing. I think that's where the haunted house uh, subgenre came from. You know, we have not, we don't have too much. We have this house. Let's make it really scary. Yeah, it's like I mean, it's weird. It's like at the end of the day, that's I guess what I have in my back pocket as a director. It's like I can make a a room with the door seem creepy, you it, know? and that's when you know someone knows what they're doing. Yeah, <laughs> I was in Woody Rather stuck in a dining room for seventy five minutes. <laughs> like, All right, <laughs> Shit, I'm gonna man. lose my hair over this. Well, Nacho's movie. Oh my god. I love that though. Like that, I love that film, and I I love, I love the idea of constraints. I've always loved low budget movies, you know, and like, not that Open Windows was a low budget movie necessarily, but like that, the idea of just the ingenuity that comes from not having the things that you think you should have and being inventive, you know. Yeah. yeah. That's that's really where all the great filmmaking comes from. You're forced to be more creative. Yeah. So what's your What's your background in your sort of creative evolution? I'm curious about that. You said you've been making movies your whole life, but like you said you lived in New York. Mm-hmm. What like how was it growing up and did you go to college and or when did your interest in filmmaking begin? I'm sort of curious about that, like the start of it all for uh-huh. you. Well, I grew up, you know, on the East Coast in New Hampshire and then outside Boston and Brookline, Massachusetts. And oh, so you moved all over the place. Well, I moved to two places. Okay. <laughs> um, but I, I was, you know, I'm the youngest of four, raised very Catholic. And I just, as opposed to my brothers and sister, I, I would just spend a lot of time in front of the television watching old movies, you know, and um, specifically watching kind of old B movies, you know, and this kind of foreignness of a lot of them really. I could I I didn't have the words for it back then, but I think that's something that really fascinated me. Like that these movies, you know, we had like a black and white TV with like six channels, and like they would just seem to kind of beam there, <laughs> and they'd be gone forever after that. You know, there was no context for any of this stuff, and and so then I started to watch movies on on videotape. I saved up money babysitting to uh, to buy a VCR. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> And I um, and I would just sit and watch movies. Like I remember, like one of the first movies I rented was Eraserhead. Oh, cool! You know, <gasps> I was thirteen years old, and like it was like, why the hell? How? Why should a thirteen-year-old be watching that movie? <laughs> and but so, it, all, and all through that, I was making Super Eight films, and um, and then eventually started to make things on video, but I recognized on video there was something missing. Because you could just shoot and shoot and shoot, you know. Um, mm-hmm. But but in high in high school, like I you know I was that guy who would walk around with like a Texas Chainsaw Massacre T shirt. I was just that person. And um, eventually, I went to college at SUNY Purchase, um, which is a has a really small film department that emphasizes um, you know independent filmmaking, but also kind of from the hard art film kind of trajectory. Like like we learned about Godard and Cassavetes and Antonioni. and oh, cool. And leaving us totally unprepared for the world. Like just like, <laughs> you know, like I was like, totally, yeah, oh, yeah, you can. Experience. Yeah, right. Where'd you go to school? Ithaca College and was all oh, super, yeah. you know, let's watch, you know, you know, Scorpio rising and think about what you can be as a filmmaker. And we're all common thinking we're the next Zemeckis or Spielberg. And we're like, what are we listening to? Yeah. And like, you know, some people say you don't need to go to film school. And I think it's true. You don't need to go to film school, but it's just, for me, that was a, I, I went, I was a little bit older than most of the other people that I was in school with. And that was a really, um, that was a really great time because I could kind of just hang around and make you know, 60 millimeter films on a Bolex and watch Godard movies and, you know, smoke pot. And like, and I was like, this is, you know, for four years, and you know. <laughs> I felt like I was in a, on a, like a resort vacation for four years. Yeah. But, um, I was, I moved to New York city and I was like a grip for a while and also an electric on like low budget 
movies. Oh, wow. And, um, and that really wasn't paying the rent. And so I went and I was a bartender and I, I was spending all this time trying to finish what was, had started as my senior project in school, which was this like 30 minute, you know, basically me trying to make some kind of Antonioni film with like amateur actors or something like <laughs> just the kind of thing that no one in the entire world would ever want to see. And I spent about four years you know, I shot it on film. I cut it on film in my apartment. And then I finished it and I made a print of it. And uh, I did a screening and I watched the movie and I was like, I never want to see this movie ever again. And uh, I put it in my closet and then I moved to Los Angeles. Wow. And that's kind of, that coming to LA was like almost like a little year zero. Yeah. You know, like I was like, okay, I don't know what movies I want to make and I don't know how movies get made, but I know that they make them here, you know, and uh, and anyway, and so I think at this point I've told my entire life story. So I'll just <laughs> keep, I'll keep my mouth shut for the rest of this. No, it's cool. It's always interesting uh-huh. to know where the passion began. Yeah, it's weird, you know. It's like I saw an old friend of mine from like high school the other day, and she was like, "It's so inspiring. You always were like that guy who wanted to make weird movies." <laughs> and um, yeah, and I finally did it. Which is its own kind of existential crisis, but that's a whole other story. <laughs> I've sort of been trapped in this massage. Can you guys go over the last 10 minutes for me? <laughs> this is a really good massage. Yeah. Thank you. You guys are killing it today. Ariana, you're like, Ariana's about like four inches away from my heart right now. <laughs> she's going through my shoulder blades and she's like, she could almost massage my heart. <laughs> But it's necessary. I was in yoga this morning. Anyone else do yoga? Not okay, often. So I gave it up. You gave it up? I've been doing it all week and I can't feel a thing in my body. <laughs> it is not for wimps. You're doing the hot yoga, right? No, hot yoga is overrated. I'm, not, I'm doing room temperature yoga. All <laughs> <laughs> right. But it's the one uh, physical activity that always leaves every single cavity of muscles hurting. There's not, like, any forgiveness in my body. Back to wellness. Yeah, I'm still trying to figure out the exercise. I mean, I was away, and I completely screwed up with my usual things that I do. Uh-huh. And now I think I should come up with something different. I jog a lot. I run. Stealing purses is really good for interval training. <laughs> you know, wh- I was stealing in- purses. Yeah, you do it. You run for five minutes. You walk. <laughs> you do it again. And you run for five minutes. That's funny. <laughs> and you make a ton of money. <laughs> Get paid to exercise. <laughs> <laughs> I so I was or babies. I babies was in is uh, for like when you're really in deep training. No man. That just, that just should we shun away from that? Just no, it just wrecks you. Let's just go away just from the destroys you. stealing. <laughs> so I was in uh, Park Slope, uh, Brooklyn. For, My sister lives there. Oh uh, yeah? yeah, I stayed there for six weeks. I just came back from there, and I would go and jog in Prospect Park. And uh-huh. the the only time that I could kind of get to do that, it seemed like, because I was working, was at night, and. That was really amazing to jog through that like beautiful park late at night because it was a combination of like this kind of just sublime beauty of like, you know, that park was designed by the same guy who did Central Park yeah. and it's huge, but also this kind of just creeping fear oh, for of sure. jogging alone you know, in a park you know in New York City. The, it's a Nicole Kidman, Danny Houston thriller about a baby. I haven't seen it. Oh, well, that's phenomenal. You should go see Birth. Oh, oh Birth, right, right, yes. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. I know so what you're talking about. So it's an opening yeah. shot of the first, the opening image of that movie is this guy running in winter through Central Park. Oh, in winter, And right. that's like, just the. that's when it grabbed me. I was like, the running through a park is amazing. I uh, I was in New York a week ago, and I was running through Central Park, and I always go under those underpasses, and if it's dusk and it's just a little too dark out, or dawn, I guess, uh, it's even cooler. Yeah. I always think about when I, Central Park bridges, 
tunnels. I always think about the movie Hair. Yeah. My mom was in Central Park with my with her first pregnancy uh, with my sister, and they were casting hair. And there's like this shot in hair where there's a pregnant woman's belly, and it's painted. Yeah. And they asked her to be that woman, and she's like, no, this baby's sacred. <laughs> and so someone else is that woman now. I yeah. love that movie when I was a kid. It's like I... I guess they're they're I knew the words from beginning to end, I think. Yeah. Musicals. There are musicals I love. I um Singing in the Rain. Singing in the Rain's my favorite. That movie's favorite, amazing. Number one favorite. Yeah. Uh and one of my close seconds is gonna be out this Christmas, uh, Into the Woods. I uh, I'm really excited to see what they did. Oh yeah. Sasha, what have you been doing this week? Shimmer, shimmer. Yeah, what you been doing this week? Shimmer shimmer shimmer. Sorry. It's just Digging in my shoulder, and it's very hard to talk. <laughs> but well, I don't want him to host, stop. <laughs> you're a host no, of this program, <laughs> so maybe you should talk. <sighs> Sasha's getting ready uh, to go on a big trip. Uh, yeah. And it's a logistical nightmare. Where are you going? Let's not told. talk about that. All right, too stressful for yeah. this podcast. Let's go back uh, and give us a cut point. No, Sasha. but I am. I am going on tour. Yeah. You can say that. You're going uh, on tour. On a DJ tour. Oh, cool. Through Asia and Australia. Holy moly. Where are you going in Asia? Uh, Philippines, Indonesia, Singapore, South Korea, and Hong Kong. That's really exciting. It is. And then Australia. And then Australia. <laughs> Let's just cut a continent out of where I'm going. And there might be an additional place, but we'll see. <laughs> so how long are you going to be away for? Uh, one month. How long have you been doing that, DJing? Uh, a few years. That's, that's so great. So how, when you do that, how long traditionally do you work? Uh, well, the set times yeah. are usually anywhere from one to two hours. It depends on what it's for. Like festivals are usually a lot different than actual clubs. Um... But obviously, the flying, the travel. Yeah, it's a lot. You're going to be tired. Yeah, you never really know. Uh, it could be usually like for one gig, I'll spend anywhere from like two to three days just traveling, arriving, and performing and going home. Uh, if it's a one-off show. Um, I've just lost my train of thought. I'm sorry because no. it feels so good. What's but... the, what's the uh, biggest crowd that you've ever DJed for? Uh, it was just a couple weeks ago in Monterey, Mexico. I'm not sure how big the crowd was, but the festival had like a hundred, 120,000 people the day I played. Wow. That's like four, you know, four different tents. I've seen pictures and it looked like, at least from one angle, at least 10,000 people were standing there. It's pretty crazy. Yeah. It's probably a lot more. Of you know, that that is so cool. I remember talking to, there's a friend of mine who like played with Moby for a while. Oh, cool. And he said that um, he was like playing keyboards at, it was like one of like the Woodstock, you know, when they tried to bring that back. Yeah. And um, he said that they were like between songs. And so he bent down and like licked his keyboard just to do something strange you know because he was uh you know he's kind of a performance artist type of guy performer and um he said when he did that this whole mass of people like cheered and he said it was probably like the population of his hometown like, that, you know that did that that cheered this one little thing that he did and this fall you uh actually started releasing some original material yes just released a track Called Heat of the Night with, uh, it's a track I produce with JCO, another producer. So we collaborated on this track. And that's out now. And then I'm working on a, another remix that will hopefully de- be done in the next like week, week and a half. I uh, ah. I think Heat of the Night is a real toe tapper. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Grandma. You're welcome. <laughs> it's such an interesting thing, too, because, you know, every time I get into an Uber now, and they put on the radio, it's always, <laughs> and I'm like, 
And I'm like that, and that's like this, the music scene now. It's it's not just my crazy Uber driver. It's like everywhere I go, I sound like a grandma now. <laughs> everywhere I go, these kids are listening to the craziest shit. <laughs> it's it's anxiety inducing music. So you guys had my buddy Rodney Asher on. Rodney Asher, such a talented dude. I've known Rodney for years and years and years. Where'd you meet Rodney? We, I think it was there. There was a short film screening, and oh, I had, cool. I had made this this movie about the Rapture. It was like this weird short film about the Rapture, and he had made this weird animated piece. Rodney has done a lot of animation. Yeah, was this the S from Hell? No, it was before that. Um, it was way before. I mean, I was like, this is like 10 years ago or something. And uh, he had this, uh, he had animated a chick tract, which is like um, a fundamentalist Christian comic book. And and it was this really rad short film where he just, he played it totally straight, you know, and it, and it was like, you know, here's the message. And um, very, very true to, Rodney, who's very poker-faced about presenting all this weird shit to people. Um, He's like the Ricky Jay of presenting shit. <laughs> Storytelling-wise. He's the Ricky Jay of filmmakers. He told me a story about like being at the Stanley Film Festival. Yeah, and I he, heard some of these. Where he said that someone raised their hand and it's like, do you honestly believe that Stanley Kubrick faked the moon landing and that that should be taken seriously? And he told me he said something like, so what should we do? Just sit around in silence here? <laughs> you know, like, or should we just talk about this thing, you know? And, uh, yeah, he's incredibly, like, he he just loves to dig deep and find these voices, you know, um, uh, these people who who have all sorts of theories about stuff. He's always been like that. And um, I remember with 237, like, I love that movie. And he he made that, We I was doing The Pact when he, um, was doing that movie but he was making that movie like in his pajamas after his kid went to bed while like eating ice cream like he he made that film you know in front of his computer and um, I remember him saying well at the end of the day you know I'm going to submit it to Sundance but if it really doesn't get to play anywhere I'll just put it on YouTube and uh, like cut to me like cat sitting for him as he's at the Cannes Film Festival like with his m movie it's just like such an incredible thing, you know. Yeah, we would make, you know, we were both making short videos with people from UCB and the early aughts and yeah. hanging out in front of the computer and being like, yeah, well, this was interesting. We made it for $100 and <laughs> it took us three hours. Right. And then you get to see just, you know, people make great work from there. He's, yeah, he's, he's a really, really, he's got incredible taste. And, um, um, but for a long time, like a lot of my friends here, like he just would be a person who like, we just felt like we were both in it for the same reasons. And the, the reason know. I knew I loved him when I first got to know him as a person was I used to do this thing when I first moved to LA where, uh, I would take house guests or just anyone who wanted to get high and, uh, <laughs> go to the museum, uh, the church of Scientology <laughs> And give fake names as we registered and go watch the orientation movie. Yeah. Mm -hmm. nice. And we would just, you know, watch the half hour of madness and leave going, holy shit, what did we just witness? Yeah. And go. And then uh, Rodney was at the same time, he wrote this really great review of the orientation Scientology movie. That's like, <laughs> which, you know, when I told him I used to do this, he's like, I wrote a film critique on this. Yeah. And I was like, you are up my alley. Yeah, he's deep, I know. I did that once too, like me and my friend Chloe, like she was visiting LA and she said, I want to know all about, you know, Scientology. And so we, we went to the Celebrity Center. Yeah. We just kind of wandered in. building. Yeah. And all of a sudden this like person swooped down on us, you know, and this guy said, would you like a tour? And we looked at one another nervously and said, well, how long is it going to take? And they said, well, how much time do you have? Uh, and um, so we said five, years. five minutes. <laughs> yeah. Um, and he took us on a personal tour of that building. And 
I'll never forget, like, you know, he brought us upstairs to this, like, one floor, and he said, and he this would... This is the microphone in the bush over here. He would, I know, right. <laughs> and he, he, would, he would stand in front of a closed door, and he would say, in this room, this is uh, where people are learning all sorts of important facts about the history of the world. And then he in this would, room, you can't get out of this room. <laughs> and, he would, and then he would, like, open up the door... And there would be rows and rows of people silently studying. And then he would go to another room and he'd be like, and this is where the children learn, you know, and there'd be kids. And then he brought us downstairs and he said, here's where we have machines that help you work all the toxins out of your body that are poisonous. And he opens up the door and there's like a bunch of treadmills and all these people working on them. And no one is saying anything. Like they're very, very well behaved you know manicured in submission yeah like it was it was uh it was pretty amazing i went five or six times doing this thing and uh you know like any addiction you just want to take it to the next level (laughs) (laughs) and so they also have like museums around la that they don't put their names on but they that try to drive them home and lead you to them yeah so like they have the museum of psychology in hollywood and uh me and my friend uh went to the museum of psychology stoned out of her mind and it's built like a, a maze that the only way you can leave this museum is when you've gone through the entire thing and get to the end and then there's the exit yeah and wow. as we started going through and you read fake names and we went in and as we started going through this museum which is all about making psychiatry look like the holocaust yeah uh it's really really making it creepy uh, we started freaking out because <laughs> we were so stoned, and we were like. So it sounds like an anti-psychology. It's anti-psychology. It's all yeah. It's a, it's all about how psychology is bad. Well, that was a, that was a big thing about that. That's their big thing. L. Ron like, Hubbard's yeah. His they paranoia. Don't, they don't about believe in medication, people. and you yeah, know, that, mental yeah. illness can be managed. But it also is. It has its roots in that when L. Ron Hubbard published Dianetics, there was like. You know, he had submitted it to, to like, all these, you know, psychiatrists and psychologists, and they all had said, this is a bunch of malarkey. And so when he got his fame, when it became a cult, he kind of steered it towards trying to destroy those people. There's that great... That's have cool. you read that book? Um, you probably haven't. It's, it's called Going Clear. It's I've a, heard of the book. It's really, really great. And, you know, and my, my there's so many great stories in it. My favorite story of all is... So, you know, Travolta, of course, is um, a Scientologist. And there's this story in the book about it's the 90s and there's a Hollywood party and Marlon Brando shows up and he's like, I've been in a car accident. And he's like, I've hurt my leg. And he's, you know, it's like the giant Marlon Brando of the last few years. And Travolta is there and Travolta's like, I've just learned a new technique that will uh, help the pain go away. Do you mind if I use it on you? And Marlon Brando is like, go ahead. And Travolta, like, and all these people gather around and they get really quiet. And Travolta, like, puts his hand over the place that hurts on his leg. And the two of them close their eyes and they just are there for, like, 20 minutes like that. And then finally, like, Travolta slowly pulls his hand away. And he's like, how do you feel? And Brando is like, I feel much better. And everyone was amazed. (laughs) 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 But (laughs) yeah, you know, Sasha, you don't have to follow up. I wonder how many rehearsals they went through for that. And turn around. But back to the psychology museum. I'm confused. Is it presented as? So it's presented as just a museum of psychology. In the history of it, uh-huh. and then you go through it, and it's all about like this is why these people died because psychology. <laughs> this is about all the electric shock treatment that killed people, and the misdiagnoses of the physical effects of the treatment, and it's a maze, and there's no exit until the end, and it's long, and we were like so out of our gourds stoned that we literally started hyperventilating and we started running through it and it is built like a maze so we're like it's like a horror movie we're running through this museum try not to see the walls and then we realized we're in the same exhibit we started it and we got really panicked and then it just cut to us like bursting out of it like a fire door just going ah! oh 
in the sun. Oh, I know. Oh, God, God. Let's never do this again. We've learned a lesson. But at which point do you realize it's owned by... Well, then we went online later and we found some fine print and it was like sponsored by the Museum of Scientology. Oh, wow. Like they do the really Museum like, of Death too, right? Are they the, the same people? Yeah. No. Yeah, they're also the Museum of Death. Yeah, I hear the Museum of Death is like, uh, is, is, it's worth the visit though. So how can people after the show keep in touch with you? Are you on social media at all? I am, I am a social media baby. I, I'm on Instagram. Okay, where are you? Which I really what, like. At what? Well, you can search for me. It's just Nicholas McCarthy, but uh, but the handle is McCarthy.Nicholas. And I love Instagram. You can find me on Facebook, too, but I've not yet approached the Twitter. All right. You guys can try to talk me into it. All right. Do you like money? Because <laughs> then you'll like Twitter. Really? Uh, they Sasha, pay you to be <laughs> They do. They pay me to stay, like Scientology, <laughs> but in reverse. Uh... Sasha, you're at Sasha Gray at all those places. At all those places. I'm at, at David Guy Levy. And, you know, so we're at Deep Tissues at deeptissuespodcast.com. Nicholas, thank you for coming yeah, on here. Thanks My pleasure. Here. This was great. Drink a lot of water, man. Stay okay. hydrated. Mm-hmm. Stay right. hydrated, Nick. Stay hydrated. Stay hydrated. Excuse me, Ariana's giving me a prostate massage through my hip. <laughs> I'm glad there's a divider between. <laughs> it's like you've reached into my my body through the side. Oh, you should go to hell. Sorry. Okay, back to task.